podcast with Alan and Chad. This podcast was developed with teachers in mind. We're glad to have you joining us on the podcast where we will dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. Well, we are back for another episode of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad, and it's good to have Alan back after a short hiatus with the last episode. Oh, feels like it's been forever. (laughs) Today's topic that we're going to dive into is uh, something that's really exciting for me, and we're going to be talking about lesson design and technology integration. So as as we move forward today, we really want to take a look at not only what are some things that we've seen, uh, not only that have worked well for us in the classroom, uh, but what are some things that we've seen that has worked well for other teachers we've observed in the classroom. And then we'll talk a little bit about the process of how to actually do the lesson plan and put together a lesson that's infused with lots of technology integration, not just using it in a way that we're um, trying to add technology for the sake of adding it, but how can we use it to really maximize the learning activities and also to engage students in the process. This has kind of been your jam, Chad, over, you know, talking about your whole career, different things that you've done, even leading up into the world of one-to-one iPads. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely uh, over time, it's been interesting to look at going from the days of working in just uh, when the school had one computer lab that you could sign out time and sit in front of an old PC, working with Word and PowerPoint, and those were kind of novel things at the time. And then moving ahead into the world of uh, laptop carts in the classroom and, you know, Wi-Fi throughout the building, uh, and then going from there to the days of Chromebook carts, and then now finally where we've kind of landed with, you know, one-to-one settings, whether it's a school with Chromebooks or iPads. And so it's definitely definitely been a, an interesting journey throughout say, the process. what a transition. You went from hardwired and having to reserve space to now everybody's got one, and it's, you know, kind of free-moving and fluid. Yeah, and, and really very common, too, as far as when you go from school to school, there's not you don't come across too many uh, settings anymore where you aren't looking at a one-to-one setup. Everybody's got something. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get started by talking a little bit about just some of the things that we've implemented in the past and um, things that we've had success with. And most of my career being spent in the science classroom before I moved into this role as a technology uh, resource teacher. uh, One of the things I really liked in science that I, I took me a while to start using, but Uh, doing digital lab reports, and there's different ways that you can do that. Um, One of the things that I had a lot of success with, and I've talked about this program before, but once I started using ClassKick for lab reports, that was really a game changer. And the reason for that is, when you talk about tech integration, a lot of my labs asked the students to make sketches and diagrams. And what I found when we did pencil and paper activities is that those sketches and diagrams, a lot of times when we went back to the lab report later, the students had a really difficult time interpreting what they tried to sketch when they were mm. actually working in a lab setting. Enter class kick into that. Because you had a lab report in a digital setting, students were using iPad as their device with a camera. They were actually able to take snapshots of different things that they were working with, import those images into their lab report, and then using uh, with a stylist using the pen tools within ClassKick, they were able to do a lot of the marking up and diagramming with whatever the subject matter was in a digital format. So when you talk about tech integration, that's still a lab report where the main focus is science, but the idea of using a platform where they can expand what they're doing, um, to me, is what tech integration is all about. Heck, as soon as you start talking about that, I start thinking that that takes away the the human error or the focus on having to draw something, and it mm-hmm. really puts it back on what's the activity and what are we trying to look for. The subject matter, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and as you mentioned that with, with um, the human element of that, for a student who's maybe not confident in their drawing abilities. That was me. A student who's a perfectionist, who's like, when I draw this, it's going to look bad, and mm-hmm. I want everything on my lab report to be perfect. Those become roadblocks where by taking that picture, as you said, the focus goes back on the content. And really, if you have a detailed uh, subject matter in, you, in your science lab, you're going to have exact photos that you can compare. And then you start to think about like comparing work from group to group and comparing different photos as opposed to sketches. It really, the integration there really does take the science lab kind of to the next level. Especially in ClassKick when you can open it up to kind of view other people's work mm-hmm. rather than just your own. So even though right. they're seeing theirs, they can also either do it in a group or as a whole class, they can view others and see what they got. 
as, you know, different components of the report. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk, sometimes when we talk about class kick, I mean, there's a number of teachers in in the building here at McKinley High School that I've recommended class kick and they've said, well, I've used it. I really don't like it. That's not to say that that's the only place that you could do something like that. I mean, I even think back to, as you talk about that technology journey, if you think back prior to class kick, the main thing I was using to display information for students was smart notebook. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Smart Notebook for a time period was a really good tool because oh, of yeah. the way that you could uh, put manipulatives on screen, the way that you could write on screen, you could insert back, you know. Even when we got iPads, that was the first app that we all put on it uh-huh. because we were transitioning from smart boards to iPads. I, I actually bought the Smart Notebook app for six ninety nine at one point. I remember that's probably the most expensive app I've ever bought from the <laughs> say, app store. Well, I don't know if I was paying for it, but... <laughs> Uh, but but anyway, you know, the thing that then kind of moved Smart Notebook a little bit uh, to the back burner is when we got into things that allowed for collaboration and interconnectedness. So you think about moving to Google Workspace and the right. idea of being able to share documents to be interconnected. That's where Smart Notebook was kind of lagging and we had to move away from that. But uh, there's a lot of different ways that you could you could. Uh, use a digital medium to collect information. And depending on your device, that has a lot to do with it too. You know, in a mm-hmm. Chromebook setting, it does become a little bit, you still have a, a camera, but it's a forward-facing camera and it's a little bit harder to use as opposed to... A little more to, restricted. Right. But that's not to say that you can't because I can think about times doing physical science labs with the old laptops, you know, from a laptop cart where I would have students, you know, doing video recordings for potential and kinetic energy experiments and measuring, like, rebound heights on a ball that's bouncing and uh, being able to slow down a camera to be able to get exact measurements that you can't really get in real time. So a lot of it is just looking at what are you trying to accomplish and what tools are you going to use to do it. I mean, even when you're talking about using something like that on a laptop, there's still an ease of access, uh, you know, a professional component. Uh, a cleaner look when you're able to type and manipulate mm-hmm. on a, on a computer rather than handwriting and, and things like that. Not like it's not important, but great for the teacher though to be able to not yes. have to worry about deciphering handwriting and to have a little bit no format. interpretation there. It's yep. just what it is. Yep. You know, when I come from a department, so when we're talking about things that we've implemented, I came from a department that um, math bound, where we really did a lot of focus on drill and kill or practice. Here's concepts. You know, trying to get kids to engage in just how do they see the concept in different um, examples? And so trying to transition a group that is very used to uh, board-heavy, teacher-directed into a technology-based student interaction, um, it's a work in progress. Yep. And so when I came in and, and, our, and our group was a pilot group, the Freshman Academy was a pilot group with the iPads in our district, and when we brought them in, our team was like, you know what, we're going to change it all. And, and in the first year, it was pretty much just a lot of substitution yep. with, with a couple things sprinkled in. But as we continued to build, um, there was one activity I, I really recall what, what we did at the end of algebra to kind of get tra- kids to transition, start thinking about geometry, was let's go outside and start finding geometric shapes in nature. And so it used to be, here's, here's your slide. Um, they'd go through, they'd identify what a shape is, you know, the name, the components of it, and then they'd have to find the image in nature and draw it out, similar to your lab report. Yep. Well, to me, th- them drawing it, right, I don't think you even need to go into nature to just make up or draw a picture. Sketch it out. Yeah. yeah. So then wh- when we got the iPad, one of our first activities we transitioned into similar format, substituted the activity in, in a more technology-based background on um, Google Slides, uh-huh. but then we went out and they had to t- take the pictures out in nature and actually draw the shape as it's represented in nature over the image over the image uh-huh. so it, it's adding that layer of they actually we're seeing that they're truly identifying it they're yep. truly drawing it and then you, you actually get a deeper understanding than them just making up an image there's a kinesthetic angle to that too when they're actually uh, identifying in the picture that particular shape that they're looking for and then drawing over top of it as opposed to just sketching it, I think to be able to like actually have them tracing that gives it a little bit more, like it defines it a little bit more and it makes oh, it a right. little bit more focused. Yeah, exactly. So you had mentioned a little bit about the idea that early on in math, a lot of what you were doing is substitution. And so that leads us to one of the things that is kind of a, a almost like a foundational concept in technology integration, and that's the SAMR model. 
So if anybody's not familiar with the SAMR model, uh, what, that, what those letters stand for, the S is substitute, where the technology is basically just a, a simple substitute for an activity that hasn't been changed or adapted at all. Uh, you're just using it in place. So an example of that might be if you're working with a PDF on an iPad, mm -hmm. it's the same concept as filling out a handout at your desk. You're just using a digital medium to do it. Right. So I, I know math. We did that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We rather than printing off packets, you attach the PDF version in or a Google Docs version into mm -hmm. Google Classroom, send it out, and they just take their notes on the iPad rather right. than paper pencil. But that's the thing about that is that uh, substitution is not always a bad thing. Oh, so, yeah. So, you know, when you talk about and the thing about it is sometimes when you think it's just substitution, there's some other things that are built in there. So, for example, when you're putting a math uh, lesson in a digital format, mm -hmm. there is a substitution element, but there's also taking that a little bit farther where you're augmenting it a little bit, and that is um, you actually have some usually some different colored pen tools involved too, which unless you were handing it to everybody different colored pencils or markers or crayons or whatever case, all those highlighters, mm -hmm. all those things are available in a digital format. So you are actually taking a step forward. And that, that is the next step in SAMR is the augmentation. So mm -hmm. you're taking something that's in a lot of ways similar, but you're just augmenting it or changing. You think about augmented reality where it's based on reality, but there's just some small changes. And I would say that that's probably in math an example of that. When you have the different, if you're using highlighters, if you're using different colors of ink to represent like maybe different steps of an algebra problem. Right. And, and those things we know can have a lot of value. Oh yeah. I mean, well, when teachers, I even think about when I'm presenting something on the board, I would actually color code things to explicitly show different steps. Mm -hmm. And so allowing kids to kind of have that opportunity where I don't have to provide all the resources. I mean, that's powerful for them to then represent it the same way it's being presented. Uh -huh. So yeah, I, I, I mean, there's, there's a component to tech that as we go through these and start talking about the lessons where, don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't think we should abolish paper. There's no way that you're getting rid of it. There still needs to be a capacity for that. But, I mean, the, the ease of access through technology, the organizational structure through tech, and then the different types of activities that you can provide, I mean, it's powerful. Yeah. And even as somebody who's, you know, really deeply rooted in the technology world, I don't advocate for eliminating all mm -hmm. paper, even sometimes just to do something different paper can be beneficial just because students are so much more in a digital mindset now than what they would have been going back 5, 10, 15 years right. ago in classrooms. Sometimes just to mix it up with paper is a good thing. Well, we even see some kids come in and they're, they, you know, we still kind of a group that's transitioning out of that idea. Especially of, upperclassmen at the high school. Oh, level. yeah. You know, the, because they went through eight years where it was very paper heavy yep. as traditional, you know, education was. And now they're like, they prefer paper pencil, but mm -hmm. getting them ready for the real world you have to have a tech component. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. You, look, would do, you would be doing a disservice if you did strictly paper and pencil and did things oh, in, yeah. in a tr more traditional way in that. In exactly. That so as we keep moving up this, um, up this continuum when we talk about the SAMR model, so after augmentation would come modification. And one of the things that comes to my mind as you talk about ways that things could be modified, think about within Google Workspace and the idea of collaboration and document sharing. Mm -hmm. So I can remember years and years ago doing an activity as a, a middle school language arts teacher where you would put students in a small group and then you would give them a story starter and they would write the story by passing the paper around the table and each person would add a part oh, to yeah. it. So you think about that from a, a pencil and paper standpoint not a bad activity, but once we get to the point now with, and, and Google is not the only place that you can do this. Obviously with Apple IDs, you have some collaboration capabilities. Uh, Microsoft has the same type of things now in, mm -hmm. in the digital space. But the modification of being able to have one document that multiple collaborators can work on and the number of things that come about because of that, it really is a, a, a true ch game changer as opposed to a poster board. I think about like group settings where kids would do a project building a poster board and you'd have where they would work so far and then you'd have a work session and the kid with the materials didn't show up and then the group was stuck and the things that You're would, constantly relying on time and consistency right. to be able to get anything done in that right. case. And now you get to the point where, okay, so everyone's working on a shared document, whether it's a slide deck, whether it's a word processing document, could even be a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. One of the students is absent. All the other students still have access Theoretically, the other student could even from another location work in if they're absent from school that day and maybe just at home and not feeling well, but feeling well enough to get involved a little bit where they're on, you know, at home on the couch with the iPad. And I, I you know, disclaimer on that, though, making sure you walk kids through appropriate share settings. Yeah. You know, it's, 
it's very easy to say, oh, we, we missed that step. But it comes right back to when we talk, you know, you still have to teach kids how to use this type of resource. But yeah, the, the, the capabilities there, and it leads me into one of the um, activities I really enjoyed in, in one of our English classes here at the high school, Mr. Anderson's classroom. Uh, he did something called a stew pot, talk about, you know, the collaboration piece. It, normally when you do a classroom discussion, you always have a group of kids that are very uncomfortable with... Speaking out. Yeah, talking in front of anybody else or, or saying an idea because they're worried that it's going to sound stupid. Right. And so it, actually if you open up a document and make it shareable to everybody, um, the, the setting will anonymize different users. Mm-hmm. And so what he's done is depending on the activity doesn't do it often, but does have it where the kids know what it is. It'll usually be um, prompts, and I'm doing this a disservice, but but he does prompts and allows students all access to edit mm-hmm. and provide their feedback and thoughts. And so on this document, you'll see 20 users, and they're all typing different things, mm-hmm. and they're responding to each other. I like this. I don't agree with this. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's a full classroom discussion where he's not telling anybody you can't speak out but it's providing everybody that opportunity to have a voice. Yeah, and it's, and it's archived too, because as opposed to like if you forgot what somebody contributed just a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. it's on that document and you can look back on it. And so he'll use that to then build his activities and then it's always, like you said, archived something that they can reference. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that was, that was a great example where you see that in a classroom where, you know, if you try and do, let's do an open discussion or I'll just ask questions and kind of guide it. I mean, I've had classes where great workers terrible at, at, at speaking out and having discussion discussion yeah i mean it's just because we've not built them to do that you know another and it takes time it's it, it does take time i think back even a younger level when you look at the middle school level mm-hmm. uh, i would probably not recommend that type of stupid activity with like a collaborative document for the whole class because middle school students unless you had um, a really mature group wouldn't have the ability to be able to just focus and as different comments are coming in, not be distracted by it's that. It's very busy. Right. It is busy. You know, the other thing that, that really is fascinating to me when you think about that, allowing everyone editing access is one way you could do that. Mm-hmm. Another way, if you wanted to try to, like, take it a different direction, just using the commenting features. So oh, yeah. if you were to put a certain prompt or a certain topic on there and then allow commenting, uh, commenting that actually puts a name with the comment. And you could have comments all over the document, uh, depending on what student feedback was. And then they can respond to each other in comments and things of that nature. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can accomplish a similar type objective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that you got to know your audience Mm -hmm. and you you have to scaffold that type of activity to really meet the kids' needs. Um, This actually came from a lack of engagement from his kids. Uh And so he was really trying to get it where if you don't know or if people don't know who you are, what would you say? And so that's where the engagement went up when they don't have their name associated with it. And most of the ideas were great. It's not like they were just saying random things. You know, sometimes you always get the little goofball that that wants to throw something, you know, silly out there. But it was was a very productive educational experience. And sometimes that silliness can be, if it's witty enough, it can actually add some personality and add add to the class. With the risk of sounding like a broken record coming back to class kick again, another... Another, no, I'm not sponsored by them, although it might be nice if I was. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing that's, that's really interesting when you talk about students wanting to share. So if I was working on a lab in science and I would say, hey, who wants to share their ideas with a particular section or segment of this lab? And it would be the typical response of crickets. And I would wait, get, try to really an uncomfortable amount of wait time until somebody would share. And often I wouldn't get anything. And with ClassKick and the ability for the teacher from their device to jump to any student's work with just a couple of taps on the iPad screen or a couple of clicks on the computer, mm-hmm. I would ask, all right, we're talking about slide number three of the, of the digital notebook or the lab report. Who would like to let me use theirs as an example that we can discuss as a class? And I would often get six, seven, eight kids who are willing to, hey, you know, hey I'll share, put mine up yeah. there. And so it was a nice way to engage and avoid that awkward silence or even for a student who maybe doesn't want to speak out they're willing to show their work and let everybody kind of discuss and look at how they and then you're almost with the student you know the teachers asking them questions well what were you thinking when you put this and they might be comfortable answering those questions as opposed to speaking out and sharing their ideas it's a little more directed that way Mm -hmm. rather than controlled yes yes exactly 
And then just as we finish up with the SAMR model, so we get to the to the very um, the highest level of technology integration, and that would be redefinition. So what we're talking about there with redefinition is we're completely changing the learning experience. It's really not anything the same as the original traditional learning mm-hmm. um, activity or setting that you would use for whatever your, your objectives would be. And it's interesting, when I think about redefinition, I think about my interview when I was um, preparing for this job as a tech resource teacher. One of the questions that they asked, talk a little bit about the SAMR model and some of the activities that you've done with students that have been on the higher level. Well, interestingly enough, this interview was occurring during the spring of 21, so the first year coming back out of COVID. And I thought about the question for a minute, and, and the first thing that I thought about was, well, I can go right to the top with redefinition because starting at the beginning of the 2021 school year in August, the first week of school was 100% virtual. So I was sitting in an empty classroom and connecting with students all over the city of Canton on iPads through a Google Meet, through a video conference. Which, how weird. So, So if that's not the redefinition of education, I don't know what is. And then you think even beyond that, after that first week, you know, that was at the point when we offered families the opportunity for kids to come in two days a week for the rooms to be cleaned right. in between. Um, and so in that case, I had certain classes where I had 12 to 13 kids sitting in front of me. I had a Google Meet open, and I had information on the board that was being shared through the Google Meet. I had AirPods in, and I had 12 to 13 kids at home who were plugged in communicating with me. And so the reason I used the, the wireless headphones is so that there wouldn't be a lot of background noise coming from kids that were out. And that was a pretty that was pretty unnerving at first to think about that your classroom was basically open to the world. Oh, yeah. You know, not knowing who, who was. Who's on the other end of the screen. And and it was very common for parents to pop in and ask a question or parents to pop <laughs> in and, and make a comment about something they liked or they didn't like. But you, when you think about redefinition. Pretty cool component, though. As, I mean. As a teacher, I'm teaching kids in front of me. I'm teaching kids that yeah. are, are at home. And I'm trying to blend that all together in a way that. If you think about pre-pandemic, you even go back to 2015. We wouldn't have had the resources, the technology, the internet capability to the do that. The creativity to do it. The, right, right. And I have to really, when I, when I talk about that, I have to really give credit to a couple, a couple different people. Um, the first one is our principal at STEAM at the time, David, well, and st- currently the principal there, David Thompson. He, what we learned from remote learning and what he gathered from the parents is they didn't like kids learning on their own. So the idea of kids being home, a couple days a week trying to learn on their own wasn't good. And when he first brought up that we were going to blend those together with in-person and and virtual students, I was really wondering, like, at a middle school level, how is this going to work? And really kind of doubting, would this really work? Mm -hmm. And I I wouldn't say that from an achievement standpoint. I wouldn't say that we, like, knocked it out of the park. Because we saw when kids returned from COVID, there were definitely some gaps and some deficiencies. Yeah, you take a year off. That's... But what I, what I would say about it is, you know, setting the bar high like that and then rising to the challenge, mm-hmm. in, a, in a really bad situation educationally, we provided something really good for the students. We, we gave it our absolute best shot, and we gave them a chance to, even if they were at home, run a regular schedule throughout the day. And so... That's really, when you talk about the SAMR model, that was really complete redefinition on a lot of different levels for how we were learning and how we were working together. Yeah, I mean, you guys still provided a routine, some normalcy, opportunities to learn. I mean, to me, given looking back to to what feels like a distant memory, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I I don't know what else to say other than you did. You, You gave it your best shot based on what you had and you provided a structure that still gave kids that opportunity right. to do something. The only, the other person that I would have to, a couple other people I'd have to say uh, that come to mind that really made that all happen as well. When I think about our superintendent, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Talbert and uh, also um, our tech, our technology director, Heather Heater, you know, we provided iPads for students basically pre-K through 12 and throughout the, the district. And that's, and that's the other part of it. For students who didn't have connections at home, during that time we provided hotspots where we had success coaches and student resource uh, people going out to the homes and taking those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you look at being part of that, is, uh, what we did, at, you know, in Canton City, I mean, I was really proud to be part of that. That was during a difficult time for everybody, 
you know, particularly families at home trying to work, possibly work from home, mm-hmm. ha- help kids at multiple different age levels learn from home. Uh, some families were, particularly the ones who worked in like service industries, r- restaurant industry, that type of thing, who were home from work and wondering how we're going to make this all happen to, to be able to try to offer some settings for them with flexibility and then take care of everybody's needs so that they could be plugged in and connected. I mean, I was really proud to be part of all that. Well, look, it had been easy to just say we're either all virtual or Which, which a lot all of schools here. did. Yeah, and, and not saying that that was the easy route, but, but definitely there was that extra layer of saying we're doing both. Mm-hmm. We're doing all, everything above. Well, when you talk about choices, like what we really did is during an uncertain time, you gave families a choice of mm-hmm. where they, you know, what were they comfortable with for, for their family and their decision. If they wanted to be 100% virtual, I had two periods in the day, they had that option, you know, where I had two classes that were just 100% virtual. If the parents wanted them to get some face-to-face education, I had four periods where at least part of the week early on, they were in school. You'd see your kids cycle through. And then by the second part of the year, as conditions started to, to ease a little bit and change, we ended up where they were there four days a week. So. Uh, it just it was really it was really to me a, a great opportunity for us to try to really what school is about is give the community choices and then give them in the situation that we had even though it was tough the best possible opportunity that we could give them yeah the only other thing I wanted to mention as far as when we talk about that SAMR model in in the world of technology integration I look at that almost kind of like parallel to you know Bloom's taxonomy in the in the thinking and the learning right. side of it. And just like with Blooms, you know, you're not always going to be at that top level. So sometimes it's okay to do recall-based stuff and, and fundamental foundational stuff. SAMR model is no different. We're not always going to be in a redefinition phase. There's some things that we've done in education that have been successful for a long time yep. in a non-digital environment. So it's okay to use substitution like you talked about. If, if as a math teacher um, you're using that I, the iPad or the Chromebook as a substitutionary device and maybe augmenting a little bit, whether it's a stylus and, you know, maybe some markup tools, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And then there's times when you start to modify and redefine what you're doing, and that's when you can really see some exciting things happen. But it's really a matter of just trying to get, and for, in my role, especially for teachers who are uncomfortable with technology, I really like to try to say, hey, start on that lower level with just some substitution. And then as you gain comfort and confidence with what you're doing, we can work on moving up the ladder and trying to integrate some things that start to augment and modify your lessons. And I think that's a common misconception that just because you implement tech, it always has to be like, you know, all in. Everything needs to be complete top re- notch, complete 100%. redefinition. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's a great point you bring up. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So if we have things that work in class, but tech can make ease of access better, you know, maybe sometimes it is just substituting. But, but I think the biggest piece here is as we've started to transition, understanding that because people's confidence is already low, you know, in some cases, but then saying, okay, where are you at? What is your goal? And how can we kind of add something that'll add a little bit more spice to what you're trying to really present to kids? Like you said, lab reports, you know, at first where that may have just been, I'm going to substitute that idea from paper pencil. It really turned into something that was probably more engaging to use that tool. And it really, we said, put the focus back on the activity rather than the drawing. I mean, the implications became bigger as you start reflecting on, mm-hmm. on the change that you made. You know, it's interesting, too, when I look at, like, the whole spectrum of my career of how technology use has changed. If I go back to the early part of the, two, you know, 2000s, mid, mid-2000s, not a lot of teachers were using technology in the classroom. So yep. I kind of had a leg up as far as motivation and what we were doing was something different. And then you fast forward to today where it's like an, ex- an overwhelming amount of technology use at home and in their personal lives in every single class. So it's shifted on the teacher a little bit, the role of the teacher, that you have to be skillful to be able to use the technology in a way that you're not boring the students because right. they're doing the exact same thing that they just did in the last three periods. Because then it's like going through the motions again. Right. We've almost got the right. opposite problem we did. Right. Yeah. It's well, like almost another like good a, point. Um, it's almost like a mirror, like a mirror image where now you're on the other side of it. And the problem is almost too much technology, and we talk about ways to get, get, you know, pull them in, draw them in, different hooks to gather their interest. What are you going to do that's different if they just watch the YouTube video, 
worked on a collaborative doc and turned it in on a learning management system in the last class. What are you going to do that's different? How are you going to meet your objectives by doing something that's different? Which, you know, and I think that kind of leads us into really the meat of what we want to talk about today, you know, as you start to assess your comfort level and, and how do you change it up to really meet the kids' needs and your objectives as a teacher? Um, you know, we've talked about there's really two components you want to look at. Aside from just saying, I want to design a lesson that has something fun, you really want to understand what is your instructional framework. So, you know, Chad, you being in this role, um, the tech resource teacher here at McKinley High School, what what are some key components you would say before you even just start designing any random lesson with tech, what are the foundational pieces or your framework in class need to be set in place? Yeah, so we can kind of go through these different items for, for the technology framework, and this could really be a whole episode itself. I want to make sure we save save some time to look at lesson design specifically today, but let's, let's talk about that framework a little bit. Pretty much any teacher uh, today is going to use a learning management system of some kind, and a lot of that's going to be dictated most likely by your school. Uh, we use Google Classroom here at McKinley and in Canton City Schools. Other schools might use Schoology, Blackboard. Blackboard, Canvas. There's there's a number of them out there. So that's probably going to be determined by what building or district you teach in, but it is important as a teacher that you can utilize that and leverage it to maximum you know productivity, whatever the one is that you use. Another thing as far as the technology framework for your classroom, what's going to be your primary content delivery method? You know, I talked a little bit about how at one time, if I go back to the early days, my content delivery method was an overhead projector with mm-hmm. transparencies and vis-a-vis markers and my hand full <laughs> of ink at the end of the day being left-handed. But, you know, in the technology world, as we started to install smart boards, smart notebook was my primary delivery method. As that started to kind of run its course and have some limitations, eventually class kick became my primary delivery method. And so some teachers I know in, in math especially like notability, but you have to think about your content area and what is going to be the main way you're going to deliver content because most likely it's not going to be with a chalkboard, with a whiteboard. And you, there's times and places for that, but mm-hmm. you're going to need a digital content delivery method. Another thing to think about is the assessment. You know, we have a lot of different ways that we assess kids, whether it's formative or summative, Just to give an example, what I eventually settled into myself uh, for short quizzes, for short formative assessments, I got into a routine of using a Google form because a Google form was pretty quick to create and pretty easy to collect data Mm -hmm. from. And then I also used Edge Elastic for summative assessments because there were more options in a Google form where I could have questions with manipulatives, drag and drop, and things that are more comparable to state assessments. And we used, we used like quizzes. Mm-hmm. A little more interactive for our formatives, and we used EdSight. Uh-huh. It's similar to Edge Elastic, but it aligned to the OST. Yep. You know, student communication and feedback is also important. So you mentioned um, the StuPod activity in language arts and the way that they can collaborate on a document, but how are you as a teacher going to communicate with the students and give feedback. And so your learning management system, like a Google Classroom, leaving comments on their work, that could be one way. You know, we really focused on that a lot during the pandemic, primarily because, uh, you know, the kids were at home. And so the thinking was, if they had notifications turned on with their iPad, and I was sending them comments on their work, they were going to get notifications. And a lot of the kids, I would get like responses from them within 30 seconds of putting a comment on their work, which is really pretty incredible when you think about it compared to handing back a paper on their desk and they look at the grade and stuff it in their folder. You're not giving them that chance to respond. I mean, to me, that just sounded like social media. They're Uh waiting on that, you know, Uh that like or that comment, and then they can go back and forth. And it's a a two-way communication. You know, we talk Mm -hmm. about that with parents as well trying to have two-way communication. A lot that's of times it's just pushing out to them. That's where a learning management system or a parent communication tool can be can be helpful. You know, what kind of support tools are you going to use? So for me, the accessibility features on an iPad were phenomenal working with kids. And the one thing that when you look at Apple's products, one thing that they're really known for and one of their strengths is accessibility. Right. You know, they take all users into account. And so I look at, first of all, in a classroom setting, what's one thing we know that at any level is going to be an issue is students who are behind grade level as far as their reading goes. Mm-hmm. So if I have an activity that I want to make sure that I get everybody engaged with, teaching the student how to use a screen reader isn't always a bad thing if they need to have sections read to them, particularly in science where there's difficult vocabulary, difficult well, content. Well, that could be any, they, any content at that point, yeah. That they struggle with. 
another thing would be if their students, we know a lot of times students' vision isn't the best. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not interested in wearing their glasses that their parents bought for them and they'll sit at (laughs) home all the time, you know, if you can help them to understand that there's different font settings on their iPad and they can set it up where things look a little bit bigger. Zoom features. The Zoom features. There's a lot of things there that they can use that are going to help them to be more successful and they can focus more on the content and not focus so much on the things that are barricades or roadblocks to where they're trying to go educationally. And then the last thing is is really with parent communication. And so you think about this, again, similar to the learning management system, you know, how are you going to communicate most frequently with parents? And what we've learned is most districts now are going to have something standardized that they want to communicate through. You know, at one time we used Remind here in Canton City. Right. And we've since moved to Parent Square, which Parent Square has been, we've had a lot of success with that. And as the parents have become more comfortable with it, I think we're really seeing some gains with that. But you, you need to think a little bit about what's going to be your primary way to communicate. One of the things that most teachers will tell you is that email is usually limited at best in terms of effectiveness because if you send parents an email, you're not sure if that's really an email they check frequently depending on what kind of occupation they have. Are they going to use that as part of their job? And you get a lot of non-replies to emails. Um, You know, a lot of times there's no substitution for just a great, you know, a good phone call and a good conversation. And, you know, then you start to look at other options, too, whether it's text messaging and the way that people just communicate in, in general. So how are you going to put all that together so that parents consistently know where to look for communication? And then how do you, you know, choose which one that uh, is going to, you know, best meet your needs for the type of information you're trying to send out? You know, I think about ParentSquare, and two things come to mind, really, with that. One is the appointment scheduling. We've had great success at the high school level with sending out teachers, send out a message to parents, and they have an opportunity right from their phone or mobile device to sign up for an nice. appointment slot. And we've had, much, we've had much better participation with that than trying to contact them through email and phone calls and leaving voicemails and stuff like that. And then the other thing that ParentSquare has that I think is really outstanding is the ability to do a, basically a digital permission slip. So the parent gets a notification that there's a permission slip. They can read through all the details on there and then basically digitally sign on their phone to give the child permission. So I just, I think about some of the, at the middle school level, when I was teaching in Fremont City Schools uh, earlier in my career, we would do a a trip to the Toledo Mud Hens uh, school days game. And a lot of the, a lot of the minor league teams, and they have those for kids during the day. And just all the work that went into trying to collect those 125, 130 permission <laughs> slips. And we really didn't have many options for the students to stay behind. So then it became a situation of you're, like... You're hunting them down, dude. Yeah, calling parents the morning of and stuff like that. And you look at these digital tools and, and how much better things can be and, and simplified. You know, almost every parent is going to check their, just like all of us do, check their phone multiple times a well, day. What's on us? And so if you can communicate through that, you know, with notifications, mm-hmm. you're just going to increase the, the visibility of the message and hopefully the responses that you get. Yeah, it's easier to access. I mean, like I said, it's it's always on me. Um, you know, you're talking about emails and trying to get a hold of parents. I immediately think, I, I usually, you want to sit, sit down at a computer to respond to those. I mean, how many people really find the time in their day at home to say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to respond? No, I mean, and so it's nice to think through all of those. But I'm going to put the, the curriculum lens on. You know, when you're looking at the framework here, it's understanding that most of this is tier one. All of this should be in place before you start adding anything else. If these aren't firm structures that are consistently used, you know, anything that you try and add in, it becomes convoluted and very distracting uh, away from your objectives. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. If you if you look at it from a standpoint of if I'm if I'm building a house and as I start to build it, I just start putting lots of random parts together just kind of day by day and week by week, the final product's probably not going to be that good. Right. So if I have at the beginning kind of a vision and a plan for where I want to go and I start to determine what materials I want to use for which purposes and which objectives along the way, I'm going to have a lot better chance of being successful. And the other part about that is I have to also teach the kids how to use all these tools and, and also support the parents in using these tools. So if I'm very random in what we're doing, um, you know, that's going to make a big difference in the success that you have with those things. Yeah, yeah. And and like you said, with having to teach the kids all of these pieces, if they know your core pieces, everything else will, will start to come together. It's easy to build. Yeah. 
So as we start thinking about, you know, as we've discussed the framework and start thinking about our lesson design, our lesson design will be on top of, not in lieu of. And so really saying, once you have your framework in place, how do we take a lesson that we design and really embed it in our framework so it becomes effective? So our, you know, our focus is really on what we want them to learn and not just figuring out the tools along the way. Yeah, you're talking about really this is technology integration, you know, 101. How do you integrate the technology? So a few things that we really need to discuss when we're thinking about the idea of, of the best way to go about this. The first thing to always start with is what are your learning objectives? And from there, once you determine your learning objectives, the next thing is what's the right tool for the job? And a great example that I can I can share that really illustrates this point, I think, and kind of drives it home. So right at the beginning of of the 2020-2021 school year coming out of the pandemic. I shouldn't say coming out of it, in the middle of the pandemic, coming back to school from remote learning. I was trying to design lessons for the first week of school. I was going to be, for the first time in my career, teaching a full week, 100% virtual, first week of school. So I'd never met any of these students. We're going to just meet each other on on a Google Meet, and we're going to have a, a week of lessons. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so I'm, try, I'm trying to, you know, make my lesson yeah. plans, and I'm trying to think, oh, do I want to use... Do I want to do Google Slides? Do I want to maybe come up with, like, a, something on ClassKick? Do I want to have them watch a YouTube video? And it was really disjointed and really just felt very random, like all these different, you know, technology yeah. tools. And it was almost like a light bulb came on when, when I was sitting in front of my computer at one point, and start with the objectives, use the technology. So I had to change my thinking. How can I make this week as similar to my first week of school where we're getting to know each other, where we're building procedures, building processes? How can I make it as much like the first week as possible, just taking into account that the students are in a different setting, they're at home, and we're using a different medium where everything's going to be digital, everything's going to be, in this case, on the iPad. And once I did that, planning the first week was a snap because I started looking at the type of activities that I normally do, and then I just started figuring out, okay, which tech tools would be, what would be a good fit there? Yeah. So for just as an example, normally during the first week of school, I try to have them do some type of creation, uh, creating type project just to show a little bit more about themselves, like their personality and who they are. Right. So what we ended up doing, there was a, a welcome back uh, to school Nearpod activity, and Nearpod's lesson library is great, filled with all kinds of so that's a tool you really like to another, dive into. Another tool I like as well, but they had they had a t-shirt design, con, uh, I shouldn't say contest, but a t-shirt design activity. So using like different colored pens and using different, uh, you could embed images. I had each student design a t-shirt to kind of show their interests and their likes. And then before we got into the design process, I spent some time teaching them how to use Nearpod, you know, in a virtual setting, of course, and then how to use the different tools and the things that are involved. And by doing that, they were doing two things at once, really. They were learning technology skills without knowing it. It seemed kind of seamless. Yeah. And then at the same time, we're doing that get-to-know-you activity where at the end we could, and like we talked about before, I could show different examples. Kids were more than willing to let me show their T-shirts. The only thing I wasn't anticipating that was kind of funny for middle schoolers by the end of it, they're like, are we really going to get these made so we can wear uh. them? And I had ne- it never dawned on me that they were going to ask that. But anyway, always start with your learning objective and then pick the right tool for the job. When I hear teachers say, well, I don't have time to te- teach technology. I've got too many of our standards to teach. You're kind of missing the point that the technology is in the background and you're teaching that as part of the lesson. Your objectives, your content is still really the star of the show. You know, and as you're absolutely right. I love the activity. And as you're talking about getting ready for that, I started thinking back to the framework and how you as a teacher relied back on your normal framework of what your first week looks like. Yep. And so that that initial structure that, that was kind of ingrained in you, mm-hmm. it made it that much easier to then implement the tech even from your end. So not even just for students. So, you know, where we were talking about the framework in your class, you did it instructionally uh-huh. for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the thing that's funny when you say that, too, is as we get to the end of the week, the hardest part about that week, by the time we got through it for me, was sitting in a chair for six periods a day, 
for a full five day week because I had never through the course Usually of my career ever done that. And so it was kind of funny. By the end of the week, I was standing behind my desk and I had my computer sitting on a stack of like crates just so <laughs> I wasn't so stiff by the end of the week. Need all those standing desks. Why couldn't right. we get the right, right. <laughs> government push all those out to everybody? That would have been nice. Right. Okay. So, you know, that, that activity was great. I'm thinking, you know, first weekend, it, it, it's usually going to be a little bit more creative. You're trying to get to know the kids. You want the kids to get to know you. You're, you're teaching the structure. But let's say you're now at a point where I'm, I'm in the middle of the year. I'm, I'm in the midst of all of my content. I'm really thinking through the objectives, my next steps. I'm, I'm trying to find the tools or I'm finding the tools. But where do I go from there? You know, how do I begin to really integrate to where I'm getting them to learn the content I want them to learn? So I'm, I'm starting by looking at the objective. And once I've got the objective clarified, what am I trying to get them to accomplish? Then I start to choose the tools based on the different things that need to happen in the lesson. So with, with most lessons, and this would be kind of cross-content, there's going to be some direct instruction. So I need to think about, okay, if I need to show them some information, what am I going to use to show if it's videos, if it's images, if it's notes? Like, where am I going to do that? Am I going to do that through a slide deck? Am I going to do that through maybe another vehicle, like back to class kick again, or maybe a Nearpod? And I'm going to try to choose the best, the best one that will allow me to not only show them and teach that information. Like, for example, if I need to get in there and do some annotating or maybe show some examples, I need something that's going to allow me to use pen tools, highlighters. If I have a diagram in science that I want to mark up with them as a whole group, I need to choose a tool that's going to help with that. And then the other side of that is if there's something that I'm going to be asking them to do with the technology, how am I going to model that? So a lot of times I think that teachers they kind of give kids too much credit in that, oh, these kids know way more about technology than I do, so I'm just going to show them what I want them to do, and I'm going to let them take off with the technology. Well, they're, and, yeah, tech natives. Right, and, and they are. But to me, what I find that tech natives mean is that they are really good at finding YouTube videos they like to watch, <laughs> and they're also really they're really good at finding ways to mess with their buddies if there's some way that they can, you know, <laughs> play a prank on somebody or use the technology, you know. What I for example in ClassKick, there's a class code you can use to sign in as a guest user and it would be amazing how many times I would have Mr. Hoffman pop up or, you know, Mr. Hoffman's little brother or something with them trying to be <laughs> funny where they would give, you know, themselves some kind of goofy name yeah. and then pop into the lesson. So you really want to look at, um, you know, how am I going to model for them not only the content, but am I, how am I going to model for them what I want them to do with the technology? Because if I can't demonstrate and walk them through step by step what I want them to do, then there's probably going to be some gaps and there's going to be some roadblocks there in the learning because I can't just assume that they're going to be able to watch what I did on the screen and then replicate it. I need to be able to walk them through it, model it. And that's where you get into, you know, how are you going to actually display your information, you know, early on. Um, in the very beginning of my career, we used a projector connected to my computer, and I'd turn the lights off and make it really dark so I could get the computer on the wall. The bulb wasn't bright enough to do that in a bright room. You know, we moved to smart boards, and then now that technology's kind of left. Now we're using what I think is the, is the most superior form that I've used so far, which is an LCD monitor on the wall, mm-hmm. because it makes images and it makes all that stuff so much more clear, and I don't have to turn any lights off for the students to really be able to see it well. And then I can also then use in my device zoom in and out on whatever the content is to magnify stuff and make it clearer. So anyway, really what we want to do as we're starting that design is, okay, what technology tool am I going to use to directly teach with to show the information? And then how am I going to have the the ability to model whatever skill that is? And then how am I going to be able to model the technology use? And so once you start to get that frame in place for that specific lesson, you know, how do you then determine the best way to engage students? That's, that's a great question. The first thing I might look at is, okay, with this content, is this content the type that the content kind of sells itself? There's some things in science that I know inherently are going to be interesting, and every year I'm not going to have a whole lot of t- trouble bringing kids in. Other standards I can look at and think, this is going to be kind of tough. Can't say I really felt that a whole lot in math, but keep going. <laughs> So when I'm looking for engagement, if it's a topic that's going to be a little bit more difficult to engage on, I might try to get into the toolbox and pull out something that we don't typically use just to change it up and do something different because then you might be able to use the technology as the hook 
and then kind of almost in a backwards way work the content in there if it's not something that's that's overly motivating in and of itself. Uh, in other cases, if it's a core content area, a core subject, uh, when I say core content area, I'm, I guess what I'm speaking of is like if it's a it's a core concept for your class, what yeah. we used to maybe refer to like power standards, like something they really need to, to be familiar with, I might want to make sure that I'm using a tool. Let's say if ClassKick's my primary lesson delivery tool, I might want to stick with that so the students already know how to use it really well, and that way we can focus on the content and everybody is just intuitively using the technology because we've worked You're with it. You're not teaching them something new on, on a, top of yes, that. Yes, on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. So engagement is, is key. And then I also look at it with engagement as well. How can I pick a tool that's going to allow them to collaborate? You know, collaboration can often be something that really sparks an interest and gets kids going. But the thing about collaboration is you've got to do it in a way that's organized because if it's a disorganized or an unclear collaboration, it's going to be just like an unorganized group project with pencil and paper. It's going to be pretty chaotic. And, and I just want to point out engagement. Let, let's really just define that. It does not mean fun. Right. But really focusing on, you know, stimulating critical thinking, collaboration, and really getting kids to naturally want to be curious about what you're talking about or doing. You know, you might substitute for engage, you might substitute the word focus. Yes. You know, if, if, everybody, if everybody's focused on what we're doing, like you said, it, sometimes we put engagement and fun together. And sometimes engaging is fun. Yeah. But I'd like to say that focus would mean that students left and they would say, this was organized and I learned something new today. And I feel like I'm farther along today than when I came to class. And that's a, that's a win, too, even if they wouldn't go out saying this was the most exciting class or something that was maybe the most, uh, you know, eye-opening or something that, that really just, you know, it's something that they could, they had focus and they really understood what we were trying to do. If I can keep you awake, if I can get you to participate, and I can get you to learn something, yeah. we're winning. Yep. And, you know, so... I'm really liking what we're here, and we're going all the way through. Um, but a big point or a big part of an instructional framework, not not just our, our classroom framework, but in our instruction, our lesson design, is a feedback system. Yep. And so not just where I'm giving kids their grade, but really that, that two-way conversation, this is what needs to be better, and then them responding with um, – you know, that kind of that opportunity to revisit or even maybe feedback uh, to parents about what's going on with kids. You know, how does that in, how does that become incorporated in your lesson and in technology? Well, feedback's going to there's going to be a couple angles that I want to look at. The first one is what's going to be the most efficient way for me to provide it, like in terms of speed, how fast can I get feedback to the kids? And then secondly, like how can I do it in a way that is time? Uh, not just time effective, but also for me, it's not going to involve a lot of extra work just in the delivery of the feedback. Let me give an example of that. Uh, Google Classroom is great for grading student assignments. Let's say like an essay on a, a Google Doc, word processing document. But sometimes given the feedback, grading it in Google Classroom involves several clicks. Mm -hmm. And anytime you start adding clicks to your workflow and then multiply that out by 120, 130, 140 students, you're talking about a really substantial amount of time. It's not taking more work and not making right. it easier. So I want to find something that I can provide effective feedback quickly and that it's going to be minimal work for me so I can spend more time working with students, designing lessons, things of that nature. Great example of that are digital notebooks and ClassKick. I got to the point where I could grade those on my iPad and I could assign points page by page really quickly because I could grade the same page on each student's notebook in the class one after another by flipping through the students on the same page. Then I added to that little stickers with comments on them and I could have like a sticker bank on the side and so if I saw something that I liked, I could add a sticker with a comment, giving them positive feedback. If there was something that needed review or needed work, or you would make you know specific stickers to whatever you were working on, I could go through and, and I could give comments, giving constructive feedback, and I would know on certain assignments what was going to come up frequently, and I could have feedback stickers ready for that. And it was just a couple taps on screen, and then I could move the sticker anywhere on their work. And you know it was a good way to give quick feedback. When they look through the pages, they could see what they did well, where they needed improvement. And they got the information. I did it in, a, in an efficient manner. So it was kind of prepared ahead of time in order to it, not necessarily a canned response, but yeah, but something that was already prepared ahead of time, where it was a little bit quicker, but relevant to what you taught. Right, right. So our final piece that I really want to think about, you know, at, after you deliver your instruction, how do you assess then what the students learned, or did they meet the objective? Not maybe, not just with 
the technology, but also with your content. Right. So the, they're really, they're really t- almost two separate things. So good assessment design for your content, if I look at a science or a math context, has to do with your knowledge of that content area. And they're re- that it really is an art to be able to construct effective questions and how you want to assess. But then the technology side of it is, the tech integration part, is how can I choose a tool that the students are not going to struggle with, mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to focus on the assessment and not on, uh, not on issues or glitches with the tech, or if it's not a user-friendly platform or if it's difficult to use. And then secondly, I'm going to look at how does it collect data? So as a teacher, I want something that, I want to design an assessment in a way that I can get good, clear data and a good snapshot of individual and then group performance quickly. So just to give an example of that, that's why two of the tools that I end up choosing for my framework for formative short cycle stuff, Google Forms, because I could easily have a spreadsheet where I could take a look at all the responses and then kind of get trends from that, pretty fast to be able to develop and make those uh, assessments and pretty simple for the student to use, just follow a link, fill it out, right? Easy for them to see their score, quick feedback in that way. I could even put feedback on the individual questions if I wanted, if they answered one way, they would get a response back. You know, if they answered another way, get a different response. But then that's also a part of why I started doing summative assessments. Pretty much by the time I finished in the classroom, I was strictly edulastic for summatives, just because I thought edulastic, if you haven't tried it, it really is a, a, a nice tool in that it integrated well with Google Classroom. Students were able to work on items that involved drag and drop, involved writing essays, uh, involved multiple choice. I could easily put videos, pictures into the questions. And, and it took, it, these things take time. I mean, yeah. when I would develop these assessments, but it was well worth it because if you're in a content area for more than a couple years at a time, you know, you can fall back on those and then just slightly adjust them each year to keep them relevant. And it's well worth the effort. The one thing too, I think back to the days of taking home like manila, manila folders just full of quizzes and tests, man, that sucked. Sit like, down at night and go, okay, To be able to put my laptop put my laptop in my bag and have every student's work right there in front of me. Yeah. I mean, that's efficiency. That's, that's modifying what we're doing, not only augmenting, but modifying what we're doing in terms of using the technology for assessment. So, and that's not to say that Google Forms and Edge Elastic are the only effective ways to assess, uh, but those were just, especially Edge Elastic, I was really drawn to that in science because I knew I was going to want to have a lot of manipulatives and a lot of graphics yeah. and videos, charts and graphs, that type of stuff. You know, two things that you said really resonated with me about the assessment piece. The the one, making sure that it's not necessarily something that will inhibit students from being able to perform based on content. So, you know, I think a lot of times we have that argument when we give some when we give students something or, or even state tests and trying to get students to use and navigate through it. We say we're almost testing them on their ability to navigate a site rather than their ability to perform on the content. Right. And so it then tied me into my second point. When you're referencing your assessment piece, you fell back on what you actually talked about in your lesson framework or your your classroom framework. So you we were talking about our lesson design, how we incorporate technology, but you fell back to your classroom framework of you like to use Edge Elastic. And so I, you know, to really hammer home the point, just to say that you're adding tech to add tech is not the practice we should have. Right. Really using that framework that you have for your classroom. So you liked Edge Elastic. You kept Edge Elastic. You didn't necessarily say, I'm using my new app to now substitute for Edge Elastic. Yeah, it was this, it was that was what we were going to use for for you know All assessment. summative assessments and not just for that year, but as a you know, for yeah. That was probably the last three to four years that I was in the classroom that I used that. So yeah, because and, and there was two reasons. I mean I I'm it fit with my teaching style. It fit with my content. I was comfortable with it. Met your goals. Yeah, and other teachers may have others, you know, that they find to fit theirs better. But that's really what it's up to the individual teacher to do is find what's going to fit your learning objectives, what's going to fit your teaching style, what's going to fit your content. And and so I think it's important as, we, as we're talking through this to find your foundation that works for you. And, and when you're adding new lessons with new tech, layer it on top of not in lieu of and and so keeping your your assessment pieces uh, and don't be afraid in your lesson to have different um, pieces of tech but maybe only introduce one new thing at a time 
I've it, made that mistake before, too many things at once, and you kind of overwhelm. Oh, yeah, especially when we moved to Block. I'm like, I'm going to do all these great activities. I'm going to have three different stations. This one's going to do this. This one's going to do that. And then by the end of it, they go, I'm still on station one, and they're all lost. Right. And it's because they got they got too bogged down with what the tech is asking him to do rather than what the content is asking him to do. Right. So live and learn. I mean, that's the biggest thing when we talk about technology in the classroom. Um, take risks. And, and I think because some of us are very uncomfortable with that idea, you know, I don't want to look dumb. I want to make sure things go smoothly. I was very open with my kids. Hey, we're trying something new today. Mm-hmm. Let, let's jump on in. I, I really want to show you. I, I checked it out. I'm really excited. I mean, they feed off of that enthusiasm a little bit. Yeah. And as we're wrapping this up, you know, one thing we really want to emphasize, it, we live in a digital world. Students spend an inordinate amount of time on screens. So all of this talk and and the excitement I have for technology does not mean we're trying to completely eliminate paper or traditional learning activities. Uh, We don't want to create, you know, screen zombies. And really, too, you have to think about when you're designing from a technology standpoint, think about the student experience. If my day is seven periods of going from class to class to class, staring at a screen for the majority of the time, that's a pretty difficult day. So, you know, when you're thinking about it from a tech integration side, how can you use the technology where really the content and the interact, human interaction is what stands out and the technology is in the background just enhancing it and making it better? And if you can do that, you're really fully leveraging that technology and you're making your classroom relevant to the digital age that we live in. And you're also then maximizing that collaboration, that human interaction and the learning activities for the students. Yeah, and even not just, you know, class to class, but I'm even thinking your own class period. Don't be afraid to break it up in, in that regard, too. Adding in kind of a screen break. You know, we're sitting at table right now, and I'm looking at four piles of paper, and that's because that teacher likes to incorporate that opportunity for students. Okay, let's give, let's give our eyes a break. Let's work with our hands. Yeah. Well, this brings us to the end of the episode, and we went a little bit longer than normal. Uh, this time, but we did have some things that I thought were, were definitely worth digging into a little bit deeper. It's awesome. Hopefully you found some ideas that you can use when implementing lessons with a tech integration focus. Uh, check out the description of the podcast for links to the things that we've talked about in the episode today and for some other ideas as you're looking at lesson planning and technology integration. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find previous episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.